You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. prayed looking up to God in faith. They prayed with their hands lifted high, open palms up, showing their poverty. I'm poor and needy, Lord, I need you, please. See, they're showing their poverty and they're showing their expectancy to receive from God anything that he might give to them. Their hands are out to receive. When somebody gives you a gift, don't you reach to receive it? Well, that's what they're doing. They're reaching up to receive whatever God might give to them. What a beautiful picture of prayer. What is your posture like when you pray? Is it like the Hebrew people with arms open and hands up, ready to receive whatever it is that God wants to give? Pastor Dave reminds us today that when we pray, the posture of our hearts matters. I want to remember that I can come to my God with open, expectant hands. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 8 as he begins his message, Solomon Prays. First Kings chapter 8, name of tonight's message is Solomon Praise. There is no one like our God, no one like our God. Let's pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had in worship. We thank you, Lord, for just what you're doing here at Calvary Chapel, that we might focus now on your word, that we might look to see what you want to speak to our hearts about tonight, Lord. Uh, As Solomon praised in this dedicating time of the temple, Lord, let us see an example of prayer, and let us be able to glean from this example how we should pray and how our hearts should be available to you through the, uh, the, the act of prayer. So, Lord, thank you. I thank you for this time. Thank you for the saints that you've gathered here tonight, Lord. What a blessing they are to me, Father. So I ask, Lord, that you would just do all things according to your purpose in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So in our verses this evening, Solomon is in the process of dedicating the temple. Dedicating the temple of the Lord, a place for God to dwell. He has gathered all of Israel in front of him. All of Israel is in front of him and he's standing basically in front of the altar and he's going to pray. It's no surprise that one of the first things Solomon does is pray. The purpose of the temple was to be a house of prayer and you can read that basically in Isaiah Isaiah 56 verse 7 says this, Uh, Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So God has declared that his house is a house of prayer. Remember, remember, 
When Jesus went into the temple after his entry into Jerusalem, he drove out the money changers with a whip and he drove out those who were selling animals. And what did he tell them? You've made my father's house a den of thieves when it was supposed to be a house of prayer. Jesus' own words. Hands are folded and we humbly sit down. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not how the Jews prayed. And that's not how they pray today. They, they pray very demonstratively. They pray very openly. They pray very loud. I mean, they don't call the Western Wall the wailing wall for nothing. Because their prayers are wails. They, they're crying out to God. They prayed looking up to God in faith. They prayed with their hands lifted high, open palms up, showing their poverty. I'm poor and needy, Lord. I need you, please. See, they're showing their poverty and they're showing their expectancy to receive from God anything that he might give to them. Their hands are out to receive. When somebody gives you a gift, don't you reach to receive it? Well, that's what they're doing. They're reaching up to receive whatever God might give to them. And what a beautiful picture of prayer. The beautiful, beautiful picture of prayer. And in fact, when Paul was writing his beloved son, Timothy, he says this in 1 Timothy 2, verse 8. Listen to what he says. In the, in the new church, in the church at Ephesus, Paul is writing to his son, Timothy, and he says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So Paul is saying that the position of prayer would be lifting up holy hands. Lifting up of holy hands and without wrath or doubting. Pray with faithfulness. Pray believing with the expectation that you're going to receive something from God. A true heartfelt prayer. Even today, when you observe Jewish people, especially at the Wailing Wall, they rock back and forth when they pray. Quite annoying when you're on an airplane for nine and a half hours and they get up every so often and gather and they're doing all the other. But they rock back and forth. It's called shuckling. It's called shuckling. And there's two explanations for it. In Psalm 35, verse 10, it says, All of my limbs shall proclaim who is like you. So with all their heart, with all their body, with all their soul, they're proclaiming who is like God. And their praise has to do with their mind, their heart, their mouth, and they express their prayer. So their body is moving. Every fiber is declaring God's worth. That's the meaning behind shuckling, one of the meanings. The other one is in Proverbs 20, 27. The soul of a man is a candle of God. And the idea here is a candle flickering flame. A candle flickering flame before God as attempts to feel free break from that wick. Our soul is also engaged in constant effort to break forth the, the mundane world and cleave to God. And that's the picture we see here. The candle flickering, trying to get away from the wick. Uh, we're flickering on earth, trying to get away to cleave to God and cling to him. And this is why Israel does that even to this day. And it is quite moving when you're in Jerusalem and you see these Jewish men and women at the wailing wall doing this, and it's quite moving. And I don't mean that as a pun, but it is quite, quite moving to see that. So they're praying in faith, and they're praying expecting. So Solomon opens up this prayer time with the Lord. He opens up this prayer time with the Lord. Let's look at 23. 
And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on the earth below like you, who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants, who walk before you with all their hearts. Solomon opens up this prayer of praise and thanksgiving, declaring that there is no one like Jehovah. There is no one like you. And we sing many songs about that. There is no one like our God. Our God is different than others. He is a God of of all things. Why would he say that? Why would he declare that at the temple? Well, basically, there were a lot of idols still in Jerusalem and in Israel at that time. There are a lot of Israelites who were going towards idols, who were being drawn away to these idols and to these man-made things to worship and going to high places. These idols were worshipped not only by pagans, but they were also worshipped by Israelites. And this is kind of a, goes everything against God. One commentator said, quote, Solomon recognized that God was completely unique. The pretended gods of other nations could not compare to him in any way. And I like that. Solomon knew that God saw troubles, and Solomon knew that God knew what was happening in their lives. And unlike these foreign gods, unlike these foreign gods who were lifted up by men in all places, God sees, hears, and knows. And there's some beautiful verses about that. And I just, these, these verses always seem to touch my heart. I and mean, they've been in my heart for quite some time. I'm, I'm kind of glad to share them with you. In Psalm 115, the psalmist writes this in verse 5. Well, let me, I need to read a little bit more here. Let me see. I'm going to begin with verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name be give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth, why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. Here we go. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat, and those who make them are like them. Wow. So what is being said here? Men often make their own gods. Men make their own gods, and we'll carve them out of silver, we'll carve them out of gold, we'll carve them out of wood, we'll even carve them out of stone, and when man makes his own god, the scripture says he becomes like that god. Be careful what you worship. Be real careful what you worship. He makes a God that might have eyes and nose and ears, but they don't see, they don't hear, they don't smell. He might even give them hands, but that God doesn't touch. We become like them. We become stone figures. Our hearts grow cold and stony when we are worshiping the non-living God. It's a philosophy that man becomes like his God. If you've made your own God, then you become like that. Some of us have made our gods money. Some of us have made our gods sex. Some of us have made our gods in all sorts of other things, and we tend to become like those gods that we make. And everything we do is around it and joined to that God. Some of us make our careers our idol. 
Some of us make our family our idol. Some of us make our family uh, into something that they shouldn't be, placing them before God. Nothing wrong with having a great family. Everybody wants a wonderful family. Nothing wrong with having a great career. Everybody have a great career. But when it gets before God, it becomes an idol. And you begin chasing it. And you begin looking for it. It's degrading when we worship anything but the true living God. So we need to be careful with what we worship. We need to be careful how we worship. So Solomon recognizes that not only is God unlike any other God, but he's also a God that keeps his promises. He's a God who keeps his promises. Look at 23 to 26. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above on the earth below like you who keep your covenants and mercy with his servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father, both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as to this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you have promised your servant David, my father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. Only if your sons take heed to their way that they may walk before me as you have walked before me. Now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. So what is Solomon doing here? He's basically calling God on his promises. He's calling God out on his promises. It's extremely important to remember God's faithfulness. He remembers it. And we give him thanks for his faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. That's what I wanted to do. Thank you, Lord, for giving me my heart's desire. Thank you, Lord, for what you've shown me. And that should give us great Great solitude in our God and hope in our God because he did what he said he was going to do. And he did that for you. And the scripture says he's ever faithful, even when we're faithless. God continues to be faithful. Whether you believe it or not, God is always faithful. His faithful continues. And it's important for us to know. So when we pray, we need to remember his faithfulness and give him thanks. Thank you, Lord, for faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in my life, what you've done in other people's lives. Solomon called upon God to keep his promises that he made. And this is a great secret power to prayer. Peter says that within this book, we have great and precious promises. Great and precious promises. How many of you claim? How many of the great and precious promises in this book have you said, yes, Lord, you've promised this. This is for me. I want this. We need to claim the promises of God. God has given us great and precious promises. We need to go out and claim them and say they're ours. They're they're great, great promises. We have to take God's promise to heart by faith and then boldly and reverently call upon him to fulfill his promises. Lord, your word says. Now, please, Lord, do according to your word. Your word says. Now, Lord, please, according to your word, do this accomplishment. Your word says. None should perish. All should come to repentance. Now, Lord, according to your word, please help blankety blank come to the knowledge of you because it's your word. You see what I'm saying here? Calling on the promises of God, calling them out of air as if they happened already and call them as they are. Say, Lord, you promised this. Solomon was not afraid to call God on his promise. But there was a caveat. There was a caveat to these promises. 
if they would walk before God in righteousness, he would do those promises. And even back in, I think, verse 23, it says, who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants, who walk before you with all their heart. So back here in the Old Testament, you have these conditional promises. The conditional promises where God's saying, basically, you do this and I'll do that. These are conditional promises, and you have to read them as such. They're conditional promises. So we see this. So Solomon is praying. I love what Guzik says. He says, this kind of prayer lays holes of God's promises. Just because God promised doesn't mean that we possess it. Through believing prayer like this, God's promises, and we appropriate, we don't appropriate in faith, God's promises left unclaimed. We need to appropriate it by faith. It's a conditional. We appropriate it by doing what God does. So God has done this according to his purpose. He has taken this now, and, and Solomon is recognizing it. Now, this is a beautiful example for prayer. It is a beautiful example for prayer, coming to the Lord in a holy position. I mean, Scripture says, if you look at Second Chronicles, it says that not only was Solomon standing before the people, that he ended up on his knees before the people. On his knees before the people in this prayer time. So we have this beautiful picture of prayer. And I think that we too should come to God that way. Now, is it a rule that I have to close my eyes? Well, I hope not because sometimes I pray when I drive and I don't close my eyes. So I hope it's not a rule that I have to close my eyes to pray. So we can pray. Pray looking up to heaven, praying out loud to God. This is what Solomon's doing. In verse 37, I love this. In verse 30, 27, excuse me, he says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. And it's almost like Solomon now is overwhelmed by the contrast between the greatness of God and this little building, which we think is mammoth, that he says would contain God. No way. God is uncontainable. God cannot be contained in a building. God cannot be contained in a building. How, how could the almighty God, the God of the heavens, the creator of the universe, dwell in a place that was made by human hands? Sure, he visited there. Sure, he was in there. And sure, it was called his dwelling place, a place where God would be with man. But Solomon knew this truth, and he explained it to King Hiram in, in 2 Chronicles 2. Isaiah spoke of this truth in Isaiah 66. Even Stephen talked about this truth in Acts 7 when he was before the Sanhedrin. And the Apostle Paul was emphasized that it was God's willingness to dwell with his people was a sole act of grace. Only by the grace of God would God dwell with his people. Only by God's grace. So this dwelling place, God, is bigger. But the true burden that was placed upon Solomon can be found in 28 and 30. This is the true burden. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be opened towards this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, my name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes towards this place. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. 
This is the burden that now is on Solomon's heart. This beautiful structure, this beautiful structure that has been built. Solomon prays that the Lord would keep his eye on this temple and his ears open to anyone that would come in there and pray. That anyone that would come in there and pray that he would answer them according to his purpose. Why? Solomon knew the value of prayer. Solomon knew the value of prayer. Now remember, I have to say this, lest you forget. At this point, Solomon is closest that he's ever been to the Lord. And unfortunately, he's at the pinnacle of his closeness. Because not long from now, he begins to slide. But right now, he is at the pinnacle of his relationship with God. And he sees all these things, and he's just, wow. And the Lord is going to speak to him boldly in in chapter 9, once again. He's going to hear directly from the Lord himself. Solomon asked the Lord to forgive the sins of the people when they prayed. We're going to look at that at verse 30, 34, 36, 39, and 50. And also maintain their cause. Not only forgive their sins, but maintain their cause. Solomon had the gift of wisdom given to him by the Lord. And he understood the terms of the covenant. The covenant found in 28 and 29 of Deuteronomy. And we've talked about it before. It's the covenant of blessings and cursing. The blessings and cursings of the Lord. What's interesting is that when Solomon prays, he mentions the very calamities that the Lord promises to send in the event of the disobedience of his children. It's almost prophetic. As I read through these several times, I kept saying, what, is he prophesying here? Is he prophesying, Lord, when there's a famine and because of our sin and we return to you, um, heal us. Lord, when we get carried away into captivity and we return to you, heal us. Well, all these things are going to happen. All these things are going to happen to the nation Israel because of their disobedience to God. God is going to allow all this thing to happen. So it's almost prophetic as Solomon prays. But something that Solomon knew, and I think something that a lot of you know, and and, and if you don't know that, you need to really realize it, is that the Lord always promises, even back here, and even more so now in the New Covenant. Remember, we're in the Old Covenant in the Old Testament, or in the New Covenant now, the Lord always promises restoration for those who would repent and return to Him. Remember that. You can never stray too far from the Lord. You can never go too far where you can't turn around. You can never go too far while He's not right behind you with arms open wide when you turn back to Him. But there's an act of turning, and that's where repentance comes in. Repentance, that huge word that everybody gets so upset about, simply means to turn around. Repentance simply means from stop following the way away from the Lord, turn around and go to the Lord. Scripture says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. If you seek me, you'll find me. We have a clear mandate here. God will never turn you back if you turn back to him in faith and in love. He will never turn you away. He will always accept you. He still does today. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. And now as Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. There is salvation by no other name. I don't care what gods you have. I don't care what, how many gods you set up. You will not find salvation in any other name except the name of Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Solomon is burdened for his nation. He's burdened for his people. He has this great wisdom that God has given him. And it's almost, he's he's, he's filling up with this prophetic verse. It's like, wow. You are a sure. 
We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on A Sure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in 1 Kings or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you, and if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m., and you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand and we'd still love for you to be part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com and don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but we are grateful that you were a part of our listening audience today. Be sure to join us again next time for more from First Kings right here on Assure Hope.